The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Capital Weekly Editor-in-Chief Rich Eisen. I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Tim Foster. Tim, how are you doing today? I'm well, Rich. Thanks. We also have a, a real special guest with us today because we we thought we would take a look at the current state of the Twitterverse, uh, excuse me, Xverse, as it pertains to how working journalists use it on a daily basis. So we thought we would invite on one of the Capitol's best. Uh, so welcome, Laura Court of Politico. How are you doing today, Laura? I am doing great, Rich. How are you? I'm doing fabulous, thanks. Um, well, it's the day before Thanksgiving, so in theory, this is a fairly slow week. Um, but of course, news never stops. And sometimes uh, the, what would seem to be the slowest weeks are when the biggest things happen or somewhat big things happen. And uh, again, on the day we're recording this, this is the day after uh, Assembly Speaker Revis released all the new committee assignments, which we've all been anxiously awaiting. And how did how do people get this news a lot of the time? Well, for a long time now, we've been getting it from Twitter. But unless you've been living in a cave somewhere for the last few years, you know that Twitter has become unto itself extraordinarily controversial, uh, due in no small part to uh, its owner, um, guy you may have heard of, Elon Musk. So um, we thought it might be a good time to check in and see where where are we at in terms of how uh, scribes use it. So uh, Laura, I'm just going to throw it right at you. You know what what is your perspective now on Twitter? Uh, we've we've certainly seen enough evidence, I guess, of how uh, Elon Musk wants Twitter to operate. Uh, what's your thoughts on its usefulness these days to you as a reporter? Yeah, I mean, I think that its usefulness has definitely declined, both in terms of me getting information for my reporting purposes and me sharing information to people who come to me for my reporting. Um, uh, and I think very basically, we're just not getting shown things that we want to see anymore. Um, you know, I was just talking about how sometimes I won't see interesting news until a day or two after it happens. And that's really frustrating as somebody who needs to kind of keep up with the hour by hour of the legislature in California politics. And then, you know, I've just anecdotally noticed that my tweets don't get as much engagement, even if it's breaking news or something really significant. And I think that just, you know, is a shame for people who really um, relied on Twitter for a long time to stay engaged with the goings on in California politics and to really, you know, get a full view of what's happening. They're just not getting fed the same type of useful information anymore. And I think that's due to the way, you know, Elon Musk has set up the platform and the kind of changes to the algorithm that he's instituted. Yeah, I have to say that as a person who is not a reporter, so I'm not down at the Capitol all the time and I'm not talking to other reporters all the time. I was always a, a step behind everyone else. But when Twitter was sort of in its heyday as a useful tool for following California legislature and other political developments, a few years ago, I felt like I was able to keep keep up with this stuff almost in real time because I had very carefully curated my my feed. And it was almost like an RSS feed. Like for those folks who are old enough to remember, you'd set up an RSS feed and you would be following certain reporters and certain uh, media entities. And you would get this stuff in real time as it was published. You'd get, get it in your RSS feed. You could really stay up with it. Well, that was kind of a lot of work. And uh, with Twitter, it was just this stream of information that 
went through in a more or less chronological pattern. And by following really reliable reporters and following, you know, elected officials who were sort of in the know and were pretty active on Twitter, you could really follow stuff. And then, uh, I remember hearing about, I wasn't even on Twitter at this point, when John Myers live tweeted the budget from the Capitol, it was a bombshell. People had never seen anything like that. He was there late into the night providing real-time reports for anyone. I mean, it wasn't like you were other reporters uh, got this. I mean, obviously other reporters were following him, but that availability of information from people who were acknowledged and who were really plugged in brand new and it was fascinating i personally loved it and i like you have noticed that the functionality of twitter has has declined for me uh and i've also noticed that you know with capital weekly our engagement with you know people retweeting stories or liking stories whatever has declined pretty significantly over the last year or whatever it's been and we could track that almost I would say almost from the day that Musk took over. And you can see there was a whole bunch of people who just left Twitter. Just said, that's it, I'm out. Uh, So I'm looking for another place. I mean, I know that there's Blue Sky and there, what is it, Mammoth? Mastodon. Mastodon and and Threads and all these other ones. And I haven't really seen anything that's really matched. You know, Threads came on with a lot of fanfare, but uh, there's no there there yet. Yeah, I know. I I completely agree. It's it's odd that there hasn't been. You know, I'm I'm kind of racking my brain trying to understand what was the magic sauce in the beginning that really brought people to Twitter. And some people pointed out that it was the ability to create anonymous accounts, and that kind of drew people. And you know, Instagram doesn't allow that. But to your point about you know, like John Myers tweeting the budget. Think about January sixth. I mean, we saw that unfold on Twitter, and that was just it's such a compelling and I think really useful way for folks to consume the news. The fact that we were getting live video and, you know, photo from people inside the Capitol watching, you know, protesters come through at like six different angles. And I just don't think that you see that same kind of um, event happening on Twitter anymore. And, you know, we don't want another January 6th, but like it's, it, it feels like less of a community and less of, you know, the world turning to pay attention to a big event on Twitter. And that's, I think, sad. That was a place where we exchanged information. It wasn't always civil or, you know, accurate, frankly, but uh, it was, I think, a tool for communication that was so valuable. Well, and I think one of the things that made it catch on, I mean, I think the anonymity was a part of it, but it was the fact that you were really limited on what you could put there. So you only got what was 130 characters in the early days. So you really had to be careful about what you're putting on. And also in the early days, it was not image driven. It was text driven. And that was very different from Facebook, which pretty early on became very photo and video driven. And Twitter was not, you know, for a long time, it was just about tweeting something that was pithy or, or thoughtful or whatever. And also the hashtag made it really easy. You know, when I wanted to find out what was going on with a certain bill, I would just mm-hmm. hashtag the bill number and I would find basically everything that people were saying about that. It was very useful. Well, we can't use TweetDeck has gone the way of, you know, the Dodo, right? We can't use TweetDeck anymore. And that was another way for that folks really harnessed the power of Twitter was to track specific groups of people, hashtags. You know, I think I had one up for Gavin Newsom at one point. And that was because it was a tool and it, you know, it's just crazy that you can't do that anymore. That really, I think, disappointed a lot of folks. 
You know, Laura, you you referenced occasionally the the information coming across Twitter wasn't so accurate, which you know is still a case. It's always going to be a case that you're trying to filter out as a reporter what is and isn't good information. But I mean, there are you know to play that maybe the devil's advocate. There there are those who would say, well, you know, uh, maybe it's not such a bad thing that we get less engaged in something like this that does have you know a lot, lot of bad accounts a lot of disinformation that's intentional etc cetera, etc cetera. how much time um maybe between before and now do you feel like you you spend filtering stuff out you know where you where you don't feel you can trust that source of information has it changed at all in the last year or two it's really funny because i think now i trust blue checks much less or like i i i'm much more skeptical of blue checks than i was before because um to a certain degree i think a lot of folks who have blue checks um were elon musk followers and the fact that you can kind of buy it now and you know we just saw a letter to um to elon musk from congress from some members of congress saying these premium accounts are putting out like anti-semitism like terrorist propaganda and you know i don't want to verify something that's not you know verified yet but I think that just speaks to the fact that like you kind of can't trust what you used to be able to trust on Twitter. And yeah, I, you know, I've heard from lots of people like cheering on the demise of Twitter. They didn't like it in the first place. They're glad that we're moving away from another social media platform. You know, I think that's a separate conversation about how social media affects society writ large. Um, but yeah, for my day to day, it just it was like a tool that had some benefit that isn't as beneficial as it once was. Well, and in the old days, pre-Twitter, or, or I should say before Twitter you know, took over, there were other tools you could use to track uh, ongoing stories about California politics, public policy. The one that, of course, every reporter was obsessed with was Rough and Tumble. Jack mm-hmm. Kavanaugh, who was an old reporter, uh, not he personally was old. He was a reporter in the old days. And he created this site, which assembled a, links to articles that he was reading. You know, I think in the old days it was one time a day. Now he goes through and does this. He updates it several updates it several times a day. And so that was all being filtered. It was being curated. It wasn't like Twitter where Twitter was just everything you followed, you got. Whereas with, with Rough Tumble and, and Jack Kavanaugh, it was what he perceived to be interesting and of value. And so as a good news gatherer, as a longtime reporter with very good sensibility, I think he was very valuable. And I know that reporters in the old days, you know, would chew on their knuckle if he didn't choose one of their stories that they really liked, you know. Um, and from talking to other people, I know that it really drove traffic uh, back then, a story that maybe wouldn't get that much attention if it appeared on Rough and Tumble, especially if you put it up high in the list, it would get a lot more attention. I had been checking it a lot less than I used to because of Twitter and because of other options. I've gone back to it now. And I I look on Rough and Tumble multiple times a day because I feel like it's a way for me to to not miss stuff that I will miss on Twitter now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the playbook has also always, I think, used rough and tumble as another tool. But yeah, it's something I check more um, in the absence of Twitter kind of feeding me those relevant stories. Another thing, which is maybe tangential, but the way that they changed how news articles appear on Twitter is so infuriating. It does oh, not with no headlines. No headlines. It's just yeah. a photo. And 
you know, I know that when I tweet out stories now, I always try to include the headline in the text of the tweet because otherwise you're just seeing a photo and it doesn't make sense. But like, I, I don't know, it's baffling to me and it's, 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 it's counterintuitive. It's not useful for the user. It's not user-friendly. And so I'm so confused by all of these, um, you know, changes because what made social media successful in the first place and that like the you know, the experience and the lessons of Silicon Valley is user experience. And that's just like gone down the drain. It's, it's. Well, yeah. And I mean, I, I really wonder, there are those people who are, uh, you know, cons- have a conspiracy that Elon Musk is actually going to intentionally destroy Twitter as some sort of a project of his, which to me seems silly because why would you invest 40, what was it? $43 billion to burn it, burn it up. However, this would be a strong piece of evidence because it completely worked. He took something that was absolutely functional. It's not like it was harder for the algorithm to show the headline. You know, it was not it was not more work for the Twitter technology. Right. But it just made it work so much less. And mm-hmm. I, I just have cannot imagine what the rationale was there other than to screw with people. Well, so this is something maybe if it's okay if I ask you a question, uh, Tim. I talking about like rough and tumble and the idea of a place to get information, because we talk about this a lot in newsletters of how much do we want to include aggregation and do we want to include a bunch of links to other stories or only really curated links? And I'm curious if you have opinions on what's useful to you. To me, I definitely I am biased. I am a really big on curation and Perhaps this is because unlike everyone else in this world, I came from an arts background. I went to art school. So I understand curators and I understand there's a lot of crap out there and having someone that knows what they're talking about to point you to the things that are really interesting. Now it's conceivable. You could certainly miss things. However, it's much easier to miss things when you have a fire hose of information. And I like it when you have people that really know what they're talking about saying, nope, these people are just regurgitating what they've heard. They're regurgitating most of the stuff in the news anyway, as people regurgitating what they read somewhere else. Uh, these are the people who really are are a valid reader, you know, the most use of your time. And so I don't necessarily just want to see one link. I love it when there's, you know, multiple links. Okay, we have this story about this particular happening. And here's these stories that are the most relevant takes. And I personally really like that. Again, one of the reasons I liked Twitter as it used to be was because it was curated. I very carefully curated all the people I followed. And if someone posted, I had a a rule of three. If you posted three links that were bullshit, you know, either they were stories that were totally not true, or they were just a story's opinion pieces couched as journalism, which an opinion piece couched as an op-ed, totally fine. Opinion piece that's supposed to be the truth of the journalist. Not fine, in my opinion. So if you did three of those, you were off my list. I just would unfollow that account. And so it was very carefully curated. And that's what I liked about it is that I felt like I got people that I trusted the value of their information. And that's not to say that they didn't make mistakes because every reporter and every news entity is going to make mistakes. Sometimes it's how they handle those mistakes and whether or not that's something they do frequently. And so I don't don't know about everyone else, but that is something that... I value with Ruff Tumble, I feel like he has a really good sense of what he's looking at. Now, the one thing I do question is that there's always new things popping up. 
you know, and I, I question like how often he refreshes his sources. Cause I know that that was an issue for me. And, you know, we do, we publish the roundup, which goes out every morning, five days a week uh, with curated links of news stories. And there have been times where that was my job, you know, as a person who doesn't like to get up at three o'clock in the morning and read news stories or do anything else. Uh, not my favorite time in the world, but trying to figure out where those came from, it was easy to miss some of the newer sources. Like you had mentioned uh, the California Sun. And I didn't know about the California Sun when it came out. And I don't know that they do any original material, but in theory, they could have been published really interesting things that I would not have known about. And certainly that was the case with some of the uh, public radio stations that were maybe off my radar, but they'll do a great story, but I just don't get in the habit of checking there. And so I'm always glad when there's people that have a, a wide, a diverse list of sources to check all the time because you never know when you know capital and Maine's going to have a really interesting story not a place i go every day but every once in a while they'll just have a barn burner so totally yeah we try to like i i have a list of like all the news outlets i go through so that i don't miss anything because it's kind of yeah it's kind of like egg on our face too if we if there's like yeah a big story from capital and Maine or something or um you know in san jose or one of the you know smaller newspapers along the coast if we miss something huge that they do it's like you know yeah, voice of san diego i remember voice of san diego when there was a whole bunch of stuff with the mayor's race down there uh years ago they were breaking great stories i mean just incredible stuff and not again not something i look at every day but you know i think it was the san jose spotlight that broke news of anna eshoo retiring this week and it's like oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, Jake Sherman tweeted out a link to it. And, you know, like, it's it's funny that, like, I came by it by Jake Sherman. But, um, yeah, it just speaks more to, like, the newspapers. The press is alive and well in California and doing really good work in their local communities. Well, you know, so in my previous incarnation, spent the previous two decades uh, tracking legislation across all 50 state capitals and looking for trends and that kind of thing. And, um, you know, their state line used to have, the greatest aggregation site ever. And it was, I mean, it'd take you an hour to go through the whole thing, but it went through um, every state, multiple stories from multiple major news publications and sometimes smaller ones. That was really great. But of course that was time consuming and costly for them. So eventually they stopped doing it. And they, well, they, they cut it way down to where it only took you about 10 minutes to go through it. And that's right about the time I really got into Twitter. And it, it really was a useful tool at that time because I could follow legitimate news sources because that was one thing that I think really did make Twitter different is that every all the major news, reputable news sources jumped on and had, you know, regular pieces on a, on a regular rotation. So, you know, yes, it was great to get the smaller publications to and individuals uh, but, you know, you could also take whatever an individual might have said that you've never heard of and, and very quickly and easily follow it up with that publication because they were in the same space. And now, I mean, I think it's a little harder. I, I don't think that many have necessarily jumped off, but um, it's not quite the same. And of course, the industry has changed quite a bit. I mean, so many newspapers now have been bought by, you know, by the um, hedge funds and that kind of thing. It's hard to even trust them at first blush, you really do have to look a little closer uh, in general. So it feels like it's not just Twitter. It feels like several of the ancillary things that you could also count on that help make our job a little easier 
uh, have also gone away. Now, that said, I'm really grateful these days to only be worrying about California and no longer caring what's happening in, you know, Pennsylvania or Louisiana or whatever, at least on a daily basis. But uh, that's a long-winded way of saying, you know, that's maybe the shortcoming of rough and tumble is I really do appreciate it's, you know, very legitimate news sources. But we used to also be able to get a lot of information from smaller sources or non-journalistic sources that you can't get there. And that's what made Twitter really valuable is somebody was, who's on the spot could say, hey, this is happening that, you know, whatever it be, school shooting, bad accident, you know, whatever it is. Well, it's you- funny you say that because that was one of the things I would occasionally run into. There would be a, you know, a special election somewhere across the country that was ostensibly going to be a bellwether for elections nationally or, or upcoming. And so you'd follow all these news sources that were on the ground in, you know, some county in Florida or, you know, South Carolina or whatever. And for like two weeks leading up to that, they'd be tweeting and you'd be following it. And then like the election happens, it it either lives up to its billing and it was a shocker or, you know, you know shockingly nothing changed from the last time. Uh, but then, then like two weeks later, I'm like, why am I getting all these tweets about this school board election in like South Carolina? Like, Oh yeah, I got to unfollow that. (laughs) Like, you know, no offense to you, but it's, I'm, I'm back into California world. Oh no. I, I worked in Texas for a couple of years and I still will get like Texas news kind of flooding my feed. And as much as it's interesting, Texas is wild. Sometimes I'm just like, I don't need this anymore. You know? And I had a lot of Twitter notifications on for like UT Austin and like Texas A&M because I covered higher education and Sometimes I'm like, why am I getting notifications for the president of like, you know, Texas Tech? Like, I have to remind myself to undo that. So speaking of Twitter notifications, you do, well, you and the team do the tweet of the day, but you don't do it every day anymore on, on the newsletter. Right. So how do you, how do you check that? I know there are some days where that's really hard. Oh, man. I mean, so, yeah, we did stop doing it as a daily feature of Playbook this year when we kind of did our revamp of of the California Playbook, which has been really exciting. Um, And we kind of identified, honestly, that it was a time suck. There were lots of days where I would be completely done with Playbook and have a very nice reported piece and then spend an hour like scrolling, trying to find something that's like pithy and interesting. And for a while, we also couldn't do anything with images. Um, That was kind of new that we started doing screenshots. But I think, you know, back to my earlier point about just not being shown things that are interesting, I found myself like scrolling and hunting longer and longer, trying to find, you know, newsworthy things or funny things that relevant political players had said. And just the fact that there was like, I think, a departure of a lot of people combined with the bad algorithm I just, it was like such a pain. So now we really only do it if some something, you know, rises above and we see it and, you know, people are chattering about it and then we'll include it, but it's not, it's not a need anymore. Okay. So Twitter has changed. We, uh, we still have rough tumble, but now we also have this plethora of newsletters mm-hmm. and, you know, we can brag a little bit. Capital Weekly was basically the first in this field. You know, the roundup started in 2005. Uh, it was started by Scott Lay. RIP and uh, Anthony York, who is now in the governor's office. And the two of them were news junkies of the highest order. And Scott had the technological background to be able to create the software to send this thing out. And they had this idea that they would read all these newsletters and, and uh, websites, et cetera, which remember news websites in 2005 were nothing compared to what they are today. I mean, you know, it was just a very different landscape. And so they would pick out the best stuff, right? 
funny comments about it. And they'd always end with some joke at the end of it. And they started mailing these out and they announced we're going to do this. And if I remember right, they had 3000 subscribers in the first week or something like that. It was crazy. And so obviously a good idea will never go unpunished. So there were started to be a lot of different ones. I think the B was the first one that jumped on. And in fact, they hired Shane Goldmacher away from Capital Weekly to do that uh, newsletter, I think. Um, Big get. Uh, yeah, which I don't even remember the name of that newsletter now. But now there's a whole bunch of these newsletters. And Scott eventually uh, also started a sort of a complimentary email called the Nooner that he ran himself, which ran until he passed. Um, but there's still, there's the Politico newsletter. There's Cal Matters has, uh, I think it's called What Matters. There's the LA Times has Essential California. Um, I know, gosh, there's more. What, what else? Oh, and there's the new one, which I don't really know anything about. Cal Peak, which apparently you don't know anything about either, but it's Just out there. About it. Yeah. So we don't. None of us knew who Cal Peak is, um, but they seem like they're they're trying. In any case, uh, Rich, what is one of the other ones? Are you is there anybody I'm forgetting? I'm sure there are. Uh, what's the one you just talked about? Cal Peak, California Sun, Essential Cal. Well, the ones, the only ones I really pay any attention to are, the, of course, the Roundup, uh, What Matters, and Essential California, the, and and the Playbook. Those are all the ones that I'm, you know, I, I check out every single day. Um, you know, there's some hyper partisan ones that I I don't spend any time on because I don't really get a lot of value out of them. But and actually, uh, the one I'm forgetting is kind of the granddaddy of them all, even prior to the Roundup, which is the Capital Morning Report which is so old, it actually started as a fax. <laughs> you would get a fax really? in the old days. And uh, that's extremely valuable, I think. Oh, for fax. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. And you know, the, the backstory in that that I always heard is that John Howard, who used to be editor at Capital Weekly, used to be an editor at AP. And he it was his job to kind of put uh, a little collection of stuff that was going to be, you know, committee hearings, et cetera, that were going to be up. And then he would hand it out to print it out and give it to his reporters. And then some of the other reporters that had offices in the same building were like that weren't even for his outfit would be like, Hey, John, can I get a copy of that? And so we started making extra copies till his bosses said, stop giving this to the other reporters who were competing with him. And one of those other reporters eventually ended up starting the Capital Morning Report and said, Hey, John, that's a great idea. Do you mind if I run with it? So that's like supposedly was the genesis of the Capital Morning Report, which is invaluable, you know, for what it does. I mean, it's, yeah. It's not just, you know, LinkedIn aggregated news stories. It's much, much more than that, but it is in the same, same class, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Laura, I think the big question everybody has, and, and, you know, not that we expect you to have the definitive answer, because I don't think anybody does, but, you know, what about the future? I mean, you know, I, I must feel so um, unpredictable to me that, and, you know, and everybody keeps predicting, you know, that, it's going to go down in flames any time now and all this stuff. But, hey, there's still a lot of people there. And as we've noted, the other ones are not really picking up a whole lot of steam. So I don't know. Do you have any sense of um, what the future might look like? And is there some point where people like you just won't use it anymore? That's a great question. I think there is a future where, you know, people don't use Twitter anymore. I, you know, we used to think about how ubiquitous and long lasting Facebook was, right? Um, and then Facebook became less popular. And I don't know a lot of people who are on Facebook anymore. It still serves a purpose. I think we all go to Facebook for certain things. But 
Um, the future of Twitter is, is you know, still very uh, ambiguous. And I think that the optimist in me says that the compulsion that drew people there, which is to connect and to express opinions and to share news and information still exists. And it will just reappear in some other form. But it's not clear to me where exactly that new form is. Um, my hope is that as a newsletter writer and, you know, a, just a journalist in general, we can continue to provide, you know, the kind of comprehensive and interesting and to your point, Tim, curated, you know, information that readers and, and capital watchers want. But Twitter, I don't think is going to be that venue for much longer. I just the word that comes to mind when I think about it is just deflated. It just has lost its kind of importance and excitement. And that's disappointing. Well, and there is there is talk about charging everyone who uses Twitter a, a small fee, like a dollar or something like that. And I'm old enough that I remember Friendster. And I, you know, Friendster was the first social media platform that I was really aware of. And my friends were pretty active on it. I was not. But then they announced that they were going to start charging like a dollar a month or something or a dollar a year, whatever it was for Friendster. And Friendster was dead in like a month. It went from being the thing. And then everyone left. And then there was a whole bunch of things that popped up. And ultimately, MySpace was the thing that replaced it yeah. uh, with Tom, little, your first friend, Tom, the little guy there. Um, and MySpace actually thrived until it kind of let technology take it over because it, there were no limits on what you put on your page. So mm -hmm. if you were someone who had a fast computer that could handle a lot of uh, videos and, and songs and flashing gifts and all that stuff, you could pop that up there and it'd be great. And someone else who had a less capable machine, it would immediately freeze your system and lock you out of, of MySpace. And so never dealing with that ultimately killed that platform. And it, I think it's still actually in use. There are people who still use MySpace, I think in Europe and some other places where it never really died away. But, you know, MySpace died, Facebook came up and it replaced it. And I wonder if there will be something, if certainly if Twitter really does implement an actual fee, I wonder if it'd be the same thing, if there would be the same sort of flight that hit Friendster. I just don't know. Yeah. Since when has, you know, paid for paying for access to social media ever worked? I mean, I think this is once again, my issue with, you know, Elon Musk is that the business model wasn't broken and why he felt the need to come in and change the business model is baffling and like surprise it's not working and at it, this it, point I think the, the, it would be a pretty big lift to try to ask people to trust Elon Musk with their financial information you know if you have to put a credit card on file with Twitter right. given you know what we've seen of Twitter since he's taken over I'm not really sure I would feel comfortable with that so that would automatically exit me mm -hmm. not because i can't afford a dollar a month or whatever or, but man that's the last place in the world i'd want to park my my you know my credit card information so yeah i that would seem like to be that would be a really bad decision on his part and i you know i i, I still think so much of this is how much of, of this is just him breaking things because he can and the repercussions of breaking them are not he he's not going to suffer them in the way that you and I would. I know he spent a ton of money, but he's the richest man in the world, right? I mean, he can absorb hits that you and I will never absorb. So I I, I still wonder, I mean, he's not dumb by any stretch of imagination. I don't think he's going to do something that would literally tank it overnight like that. 
he doesn't really want to see $44 billion go, you know, right straight down the toilet. So I don't know. I think it's a really open question, but I think he likes to push things as far as he can possibly push them and just see what the reaction is. And, uh, you know, he's got the luxury and the privilege of being able to do that. So, hey, I, I think this ride hasn't even come close to being halfway done yet, you know, before we know what's going to happen. Yeah, people, I think, try and ascribe a lot of like, um, you know, thoughtfulness to Elon Musk. And he's not dumb. And obviously, he's very successful. But like, he will do things just for the joke. He will do things just to satisfy his own whims. That's very clear. I think he offered Wikipedia like $10 billion to change its name to an expletive, which I will not state for your um, for your listeners here. But He'll do that. You know, that's and you I, also know you never would have paid them because that's his other thing. He's like, he offers right. to do stuff. And then, you know, so the Wikipedia, I said the people who run Wikipedia are smart. <laughs> yeah. So, we, we should all flock to Wikipedia. That's the new Twitter. Yeah. It, you know, who knows? We're all going to go to LinkedIn and we're going to be on the LinkedIn thread. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I have a standing policy on LinkedIn. Anybody starts posting any other kind of political stuff that we see on the other ones, I immediately delete it. And I warn them, you get one chance. This is one place if I go here, I don't want to see all that stuff. So if it goes to LinkedIn, I'm just, I'm going to salute and be out, out the door. Peace in the internet. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I expect it on Twitter, but you know, on LinkedIn, I just want to know your job postings and, you know, whatever report you just did that made you, you know, about whatever, you know, that that's fine. I, I don't right. care about that. But man, Dude, if you're throwing up memes, I'm out. <laughs> Right. You- I'm on social media for the memes. So that's why I will not be on LinkedIn. <laughs> you, job- you don't want to know your job aversary? Is that even a thing? I'm like, I don't even know when I started my job aversary. Job aversary. Yeah, no, it's 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 a useful tool. I mean, it's this is the whole point. It's so shamelessly self self-promotion, uh, self-promotional, which is all of uh social media, but I need like a moment of peace from the um the the constant, you know. Yeah, job promotion stuff. So, uh, but credit to LinkedIn where credit is due. They've obviously got a good amount of followers. Yeah. Well, Laura, uh, thank you so much for for coming on and talking about this. And we'll be seeing now. We'll have to know. We're all going to be waiting with bated breath to see what the next tweet of the day is, if there even is one. Oh, I would encourage people to please like put on your thinking caps and tweet something funny um, because there's such a, a lack of good tweets lately. But yeah, thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. Well, that's what I was going to say is, uh, you know, I'm, I I think I'm just going to start posting uh, pictures and videos of my dogs and, uh, <laughs> you know, people can do with them as they will. You know, they're they're cute. You know, maybe maybe that'll bring a little peace and joy to to the Internet, <laughs> calm some of the trolls down or something. I don't right. know. Public service. Yes. Well, Laura, thank you very much. Really do appreciate it. We look forward to uh so seeing all, all of the good work from the playbook, it's really uh, it's making a big impact around the capital community and we need that. So good job. Thank you so much. And obviously, I love what you guys do and really appreciate your thoughts on all this and look forward to us all being on the same you know boat in January following this stuff. So thanks Absolutely. again. All right. Take all right. care. Thanks, Laura. All right. Well, thanks to Laura Court of Politico for joining us uh, to talk about Twitter. And, you know, one thing uh, we didn't talk about really much in that discussion was, you know, a lot of the negative stuff about Twitter that 
as causing people to leave, we kind of intentionally really didn't talk about that. We're all aware of that. We were really focused on what, um, how journalists are dealing with the Twitter as it is right now, or um, pardon me, X, which is something else we actually, Tim, I wish we talked with Laura about was uh, Elon using us in the media t- to help him rebrand his $44 billion investment. But we didn't get any of that, but that's fine. We What we really talked about was the important aspects of how we do or do not use Twitter in this day and age. Right. And I would say also beyond just how journalists use it, I'd say how anyone who yeah. wants to follow California policy used it. Uh, because I think that there were a lot of people out there who use that as sort of a, again, almost like a, a RSS feed on steroids to understand what was going on in the, around the state and in politics. And you could really, at one time, you could use quote unquote X, which does anyone actually call it X? Does anyone on earth other than Elon Musk and perhaps his children call it X? Uh, probably not. But anyway. Um... Right. Well, yeah, that was it was an interesting discussion. We really thank Laura for for joining us because she's, a, you know, an avid user. And and uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I think one thing that we can say definitely about Twitter slash X is, you know, it, it was the first. And the reason that we all are talking about it is because we were all so invested in it for such a very long time. And then, and you know, when you have these big upheavals, this is what happens, right? We're all trying to figure out where it's all going to go. If this this kind of a people upheaval happened right now at Blue Sky, who knows, right? No one's even on Blue Sky. So anyway, that being what it is, that just means it's time for our favorite uh, segment of the week. Who had the worst week in California politics? The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And speaking of upheaval. Oh, yeah. And speaking of upheaval, absolutely. You know, there was a, this was a, a classic political move to release this list uh, the day before Thanksgiving, late in the afternoon, uh, the day before Thanksgiving. But um, by now, by the time you're hearing this, we all know that uh, Assembly Speaker Revis released his list of committee chairs. As expected, there was a lot of change. Always happens when there's a leadership change. Some of it was expected. I think we're going to start there with uh, uh, Assembly Public Safety uh, Committee Chair Reggie Jones-Sawyer, who, as most of us expected, uh, is no longer the chair of that committee. I think I think you would have to be have been living in a cave for the last you know six months to uh, have believed that Reggie Jones-Sawyer would still have that uh, chairmanship come January. And, uh, you know, Speaker Revis did not let us down. He has removed, uh, not only did he remove him from the chairs, uh, from the chair, he removed him from the committee. And to be honest, maybe Reggie Jones-Sawyer was ready to go. You know, if I was him, I would maybe be saying, you know, I could do something else with my time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I... like I say, he he had to be the least surprised person to get removed from his position because we all saw this coming. You know, that was such a uh, that whole contentious issue around fentanyl bills and certainly around Shannon Groves bill on human trafficking. You know, when the governor and the assembly speaker both come out essentially in opposition to where you're at with it, you have to know you, you can't cause the governor and the new speaker a problem. They're going to make a change there. And that's what happened. So that that was expected. And good news for Sacramento Assembly member Kevin McCarty, who is also running for Sacramento mayor. So I'm sure he'll yes. be uh, having a higher profile uh, you know, committee. 
Absolutely. He is the new chair of that committee. We will see. He was a Rendon guy. So we will see how that plays out. Clearly, he's made peace with uh, with the new speaker. And so he's got a really prime um, chairmanship. We'll see how that goes. That maybe was a little surprising, but I think Tim and I are in agreement. Maybe the person who might have had the worst week in California politics this week was one that I think we were all a little surprised. At least I know I was a little surprised uh, on this particular chair or um, change. We saw Isaac Bryan, Assemblymember Isaac Bryan, who represents Culver City, who was one of Revis's top lieutenants during that whole transition. Um, he is out as the legislative or the Democrats majority leader in the assembly and has been replaced by assembly member um, Cecilia Aguiar Curry. Uh, I don't know, Tim, I was not expecting that. Were you? I did not see that coming at all. However, I, you know, I'm not that tightly embedded with what's going on uh, in the leadership, but I had not seen anything or even heard any rumors to that effect. I was not aware of any tensions between the two. Uh, so yes, I was surprised to see that. Well, you know, I, I was at one of the speakers press conferences right after the transition and named, named Brian as leader and it, they really looked hand in glove. So I, yeah, that one, that one took me a little bit off guard. Uh, now it's not like he got cast out into the wilderness. I mean, he's the new chair of the natural resources committee, which in this state is a very, very powerful committee as well. And certainly one that is high profile. So, you know, like I say, it, it, it's not the worst thing that could have happened to him, but it's a big change from being the majority leader, which is a fairly powerful position. So and not only powerful, but I feel like it's also a high profile uh, position, even aside from any power, it's just something when you know, they'll be talking about you, you're, you have a slightly different uh, status than just a standard member. Right. And, and you know, I think it's probably worth mentioning, too, uh, a good and a bad, depending on where you're coming from. Uh, we saw Chris Holden lose the chairmanship of the Assembly Appropriations Committee, which we all know, Appropes is probably the most powerful committee in each legislative chamber. Um, Buffy Wicks is the new chair there, though that does not, that transition doesn't happen until January 22nd. But Do you have uh, any idea why that, I, I don't really, I haven't seen why that one particular change takes place next year when everything else is taking place now. Uh, do you have any sense of why that that is? You know, I really don't. But, uh, you know, I, I think because it is such an important committee, there's probably need for some lead in. I mean, you know, Buffy Wicks's um, expertise in the last several years has been around housing. And, you know, she was a very she was the chair of the uh, Assembly Housing Committee. So, there's probably going to be need some time for her to get fully up to speed for approps. I mean, that's a guess on my part. I don't know. Maybe we should ask her to come on this podcast sometime and talk with us a little bit about what she expects for the coming year. That would, you know, that would be a fun thing. So uh, Assemblymember Wicks, if you're listening, consider this an invitation to come join us and, and talk about your, your thoughts for 2024 as the chair of the approps committee. You know, and, and speaking of, keeping things on your calendar and what might be coming up. Uh, we are going to be doing a conference. We do four conferences a year on basic issues of interest to Californians. And 
early next year, we will be looking at crime. And so we may be maybe calling on Assemblymember McCarty to see if he wants to come and participate in that as the new head of the Public Safety Committee. I would think he would be a natural. So uh, so we'll see, you know, but if you're if that's an issue you are as a listener are interested in, uh, check back in. We'll be we'll be making announcements as we get closer. But sometime uh, beginning part of the year, we'll be looking at crime as a topic for one of our California conferences. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap this up uh, for our, our long holiday weekend, I would say one thing that we've been remiss, but I really want to start reminding folks, if you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so that you don't miss out any of this uh, great content that we hope we hope is great. We like to think is great. But hopefully, uh, if, if you do uh, subscribe and you have the opportunity to leave us a review in particular, that would be great. It helps other people find the show. It really does. The algorithms are real, people, and this is what we're living in. So if you, but, but really quickly, if you hated the show, don't leave us a review. Just yeah, yeah, don't leave us a bad review. But you know, if 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 five stars feels appropriate to you, that's really helpful for us and helpful for other people to find the show. So I'm I'm going to make a point of talking about this more often. So if you missed out, we'll we'll get it next time. But I think Laura Court's family should go on right now and give us Absolutely. a five star review. That's the way this works. Let's make it our holiday mission, right? Let's give the Capital Weekly podcast all of the five star reviews that it can possibly get. So there you go. That's our that's our our we're not going to ask you for money, though we probably are going to ask you for no, money. No, we're going to ask you for money too. <laughs> we're going to ask you for money and to, and and to subscribe and to give us a review. Tim, it was a it was a great show. It was great talking to Lara. It's been great talking uh about this week's events. And so I guess we'll just uh, wish everybody the a little calm and peace as we exit Thanksgiving and enter into the next several weeks of the Christmas chaos season, right? And Hanukkah chaos season. And Hanukkah, yes, please, yes. Any uh, any uh, any particular uh, religious celebration that you're celebrating in December? We're there for you. So everything, absolutely everything, everything, everywhere, all the time. That's what we say. All right, Rich. Well, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Take care. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. 